part of the fear was losing control, but then the fear actually itself was controlling me. So mm. that I wasn't really in any, I was already out of control. Hello, Internet. You are listening to Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. This is my show where I talk to people who have changed their minds about big, important things. I'm Luke T. Harrington, award-winning author of fiction and nonfiction. And now, I haven't been on Facebook or Twitter for like a week. And it's weird. Uh... Like, I don't know if you're allowed to do that. I don't know. I told myself I was taking a one-day break from social media, and that turned into a week pretty fast. I was like, I got to the second day, and I was like, man, being off social media is great. I might just keep going with that. I don't know if it's going to last. I I, I really don't, Um, because if you're a content creator, you sort of have to be on social media, because it's like the best slash only way to promote your work. So I don't know how that's all going to shake out. Um, But man, I am off that drug and I am feeling great. Uh, Yeah, I feel like I'm at an AA meeting here. Um, It's been one week since I took a sip from the old Twitter feed. And man, it feels great. Um, I'm actually working on a piece on that for my Substack, my my blog slash newsletter. Um, it'll probably be up by the time that this episode's live. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, you should go check it out. It's luketharrington.substack.com. And that is fast becoming like my only presence on the internet, <laughs> especially now that I'm like not really on social media either. Uh, so if you like me and like hearing from me, I, uh, I would really appreciate it if you would go there and sign up to receive that newsletter in your email inbox. Uh, it's about once a month. Yeah. Um, and it's free also. Um, and everyone who signs up gets a free e-copy of both my books. Um, so yeah, that's luketharrington.substack.com. Uh, check it out. Anyway, uh, for this episode... In a shameless display of both pay-for-play and nepotism, I had on my producer and little sister, uh, Tamar Harrington. Um, Now, I had her on because she pitched an idea for an episode to me that was really fascinating. Um, Because for a lot of years, she was diagnosed with tocophobia, uh, which, if you're unfamiliar, is kind of the irrational fear of pregnancy and childbirth. She was just horrified by the idea of being pregnant, by the idea of giving birth. And as of January, uh, is a proud new mom. Um, so obviously, <laughs> there was quite quite a mind change that happened there. Uh, I, I guess I should add that the, the pregnancy and the child were deliberately conceived. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty fascinating story, really. I'll go ahead and let my sister introduce herself and I will see you on the other side. I'm sitting here with, are you my boss or my little sister? 
because you're you're a producer <laughs> on the show. Yeah, I haven't done much in the in the function of a producer. Well, you're a bankroller. <laughs> you're not you're you're a producer, not an executive producer. No, I mean, um, for people who for people who uh, don't know, we have a this is a patron supported show, and anyone who supports us at a certain level gets credited as a producer on the show. Um, my little sister is our producer at the moment. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I For think- the record, um, I'm only two years younger than him. I'm not that little. Uh, well. I mean, you know, when, when we were like four and two, that seemed like a lot, but now that we're like 37 and 35. Uh, I you you weigh about half what I weigh, so you're pretty little. But I think um I think what people really want to know is how did you become a guest on my show? Did you buy your way on or is this just nepotism? Uh um uh I think I just asked you if you'd like to talk to me about <laughs> something I changed my mind about and you said yes. Mm, yeah, as I, listeners, I guess if it's nepotism, then then only you can say that. <laughs> or if I bought my way on, only you can say it. List, listeners will note my younger sister is literally minded to a fault, which makes her a lot of fun to uh, poke and prod with uh, silly questions because she always takes them seriously. Um, no, Tamar, uh, who is a She's been a good friend of mine for a while, but um, a while ago she uh, she pitched an idea for a show to me, and I said, "You know what? That is a good idea for the show. I don't care if people accuse me of nepotism. I'm going to have you on." Um, interestingly, interestingly, despite being the closest relation to me I've ever had on the show, which is there's not a lot of competition for that. You are the longest distance call I've yeah. ever uh, had on the yeah. show. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've done a few international shows before, mainly with people in Canada and the UK. Uh, but here we are, 15 hours apart. Um, I'm talking to talking to someone in South Korea. Yeah. Um, so you are living in tomorrow. Um, <laughs> can you can you tell listeners what is the future like? I'm sure they want to know. I mean, I, I don't actually like but uh the future is about the same as as where you're living in the past i think first the, the the real joke here is that you know this episode won't go live for probably a couple of months so yeah it's, right. the, past, it's the past regardless but uh yeah as we record this i think russian tanks are still rolling into the ukraine so hopefully the future is a little brighter uh we'll see i guess let you guys know in a couple of months when you're listening to this. That was good there for sure. Gosh, I don't know why I brought that up. Um, but yeah, so beside, aside from being um, a podcast producer and a sister to the stars, um, <laughs> do you want to tell people what it is you do there in South Korea in Seoul? Uh, well, my main reason for being here is my, my husband is Korean. Um, and uh, I, I moved here about seven, seven years ago now. Um, it's, I think on Wednesday was the seven year anniversary of my 
arrival in South Korea for living here. I had visited here a couple times before. But um, yeah, my, my husband, Kyunggu, and I, we met in college. Um, he was a foreign exchange student at my college in the U.S. And, and then we were kind of long distance friends slash significant others for like, for like six years and then decided to finally well like he, he yeah I mean I we had been talking about getting married for a while but I also felt like I just kind of couldn't really get to that point without uh at least spending a little bit more time in the same geographic location so I moved here in uh, 2015, took a job with a what they call a hagwon here, which is like a, a non-school school. school. <laughs> um, uh, so I was teaching English, and then we got married in about a year later in 2016. Um, and I just have not left here since. <laughs> You're still uh, teaching, right? At the moment, I am not employed. Got it. <laughs> I. Uh, let's see. So during during the past year, I well, I, I got pregnant after, um, about a year ago after finishing a little bit less than a year ago after finishing a one year contract with a company that did not renew the contract. And then I was trying to find a job for a while, got pregnant, couldn't really find a job during my first trimester. And then I was like, eh, let's just forget it because any job I take now, I'm going to have to like explain to them. Uh, I'm probably going to take maternity leave before the contract finishes and all that. So, so I just I I um was I, I took a couple of short-term teaching contracts uh, with a a company that just arranges those for various people who need them and. Yeah, so during the during the past year I've been a part-time English teacher. Before that I was an editor of ESL textbooks. But yeah, mostly there's not there's not a lot of jobs available for people in Korea who are not totally fluent in Korean. I I can speak enough to have a conversation. I, I'm not like a Korean person at all and when it comes to language or understanding how the cultural and culture and com companies works and that kind of thing. So mostly I have been teaching ESL and doing editing jobs while I've been here. All right. Well, why don't we get into it? Um, the episode you pitched to me, which I thought was a really, potentially a really interesting conversation was that um, you are formerly a diagnosed Tacophobe, tacophobic, tacophobe. I don't know how to I, diagnose I with tacophobia, which uh, for yeah. listeners who, who don't know is essentially the fear of pregnancy and childbirth. Um, but now here you are. I have been pronouncing it tocophobia. I I don't know if maybe some some people do pronounce it tacophobia, but it doesn't really matter. Okay. Yeah. I mean, ta tacophobia is probably the fear of Tex-Mex cuisine, I'm guessing. <laughs> anyway, uh, so you were formerly diagnosed with tacophobia, uh, fear of pregnancy and childbirth. And yet here you are many years later, a new mother. Um, and I, you know, I have uh, 
a new nephew, obviously. He's adorable. I'm a fan. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad he came into the world. Um, so yeah, good on you for doing that. Um, let's um talk about well, I mean, let's let's talk about the sort of change you underwent because I I'm really interested in this because typically when you hear about a phobia, when you hear about a, you know, phobia is defined as an irrational fear, a lot of times people work their whole lives to try to live with it because they know they can't get over it. But right. here we are. Here we are. Uh, so why don't we why don't we start at the beginning? Um, when did you I, I, I guess when did you realize that you had tachophobia? Why don't we start there? Yes. And maybe I should say that I don't know if there really is a extremely clinically specific way to diagnose somebody with tocophobia or tocophobia. Yeah, I mean, um, diagnosing psychological conditions is kind of an inherently subjective thing, uh, right? Yeah, I, I guess I would say I didn't really think about it a lot in those terms until like I was thinking about getting married um, because I think, you know, I think I always had a strong sense of fear and disgust around pregnancy and childbirth from the time that, at least from the time that I was a kid. Um, mm. But I also really just didn't have much interest in having children. So it wasn't really an issue for me. And I also, you know, wasn't having sex, which, <laughs> you know, makes it, makes it hard to have Why? children, at least the biological way. Um, <laughs> When you so, were a kid, you weren't having sex. That's probably, probably yeah. good. Well, you know, um, I mean, I, I, I didn't, I mean, until I didn't have sex until I got married at 29. So that's like kind of, you know, um, maybe that's not really, but, you know, um, I guess like I, I, I sort of, I think this is kind of one of those things that I, one of the reasons I thought this might be an interesting episode is, you know, like if you're a relatively young woman and you ever express like, oh, I don't think I really want to have children or something like that. People will say, oh, of course you'll change your mind. Right. Mm. And I mean, I guess like the point of this episode is I did change my mind, but not in the way that people seem to think it's going to happen. You know, like you mm. just wake up one day and like, you're like, oh, my ovaries hurt. I want to have a baby or something like that. We um, all had that experience. <laughs> that's saying that everybody does but like i mean it seems like people assume yeah some some age or some relationship status or something like that it will just magically change and sure and for me it it didn't and i had to had to put in a lot of work actually to try to try to help myself yeah. change being open to it Okay, well, why don't we why don't we start at the beginning though? Because I mean, you you said even when you were a kid, you had kind of a disgust toward the idea of a pregnancy, of childbirth. Um, and I I hear that, and I go, I mean, sure, like the human body's gross. <laughs> we've all we've all got yeah. one. They all do gross stuff all day long. Um, and you know, pregnancy and childbirth is no exception to that. Like everything about pregnancy and childbirth is gross, sure, but it's also not like an outlier, right? Like, I, I mean, 
we all poop, right? We, you know, we all fart. Um, you know, I, I mean, if you're female, you menstruating once a month, like you got all sorts of uh, gross stuff going on with your body. Like what, what's uniquely right. and, and gross I about pregnancy and childbirth? Well, I, I would say it wasn't so much gr- the grossness per mm-hmm. se. Like I, I, you know, personally, I don't, I don't, Feel, have the same remotely the same feelings about like pooping or menstruation or I mean or, I hope even not, like because you gotta poop every day yeah no but I mean like I guess like and and I don't know if if I don't know if what I experienced as a kid or a teenager was unique or anything like that when was unusual or anything like that but what I do remember is like um. I, I think I think the first time I really thought about pregnancy in any concrete terms, and and I might be wrong, maybe I don't remember something from earlier, but um, I remember being at a pro life rally with you know you guys and mom and dad, and um, I think I was probably maybe eight, nine, ten, somewhere in there, and um, there there was a speaker there and i think you know it was a walk for life i think if you remember going to those when we were kids mm-hmm. um but the, the speaker was like a a former nurse maybe she's still a nurse i don't know but a nurse who had formerly worked in an abortion clinic and she was describing an abortion um and i i just remember being really traumatized by that i think i went outside in the hall and like was just probably crying or something like that and Mm. I think like like I say I think that was the first time that I had ever really thought much about pregnancy at all and I don't know exactly what my conscious thoughts were but like it was like started me down thinking more about like oh there's something I never want to touch with a 10-foot pole right Mm. you know and I kind of remember like later on people talking about having kids and stuff like that you know maybe when I was just a couple years older and stuff like that and I was like uh, I don't think I'm ever I don't think I ever ever want to do that but I also like didn't talk about it a lot because I thought like people would sort of judge me for it and that kind of thing things can be gross and not be not strike somebody as as frightening or or mm-hmm. dreadful you know I guess um, I guess what I'm trying to get at is what in particular was frightening about the idea of of childbirth to you I probably couldn't have put it in very specific terms at that time. I think mm-hmm. like it wasn't until much later when I realized that it was, you know, a problem for me. Like it was something that was kind of holding me back from making decisions that mm-hmm. I wished I could make that I started to kind of unpick what, what it was about all of it. Like that, that was frightening. It was, it was such a frightening thing to me that I just didn't even like really seriously think about it in any kind of concrete terms for a really long time once I did start picking through it it was in my mid-20s after I realized that Jungkook wanted to marry me I was trying to I thought I probably wanted to marry him too but like having a child was was really important to him Mm -hmm. Um, and that was something that I was just like oh I don't I don't quite know if I can go there Um, and I actually did go to see a a psychologist just about 
that issue. At that time, I there were a lot of things that I thought through about it, both then and then later on doing some more work on my own. I kind of was afraid of, it was more than just like pain, which I mean, I think everybody is afraid of that, but um, losing control over what happens to your body, I think, mm. both because during the whole pregnancy, of course, like your your body is making accommodations for the baby that um, you're just not really in control of and mm. can't predict how it's going to happen and that sort of thing. Um, and also just, you know, medical care at the time of delivery and everything, like decisions are made sometimes very quickly and mm. sometimes not for the sake, for your sake, but for the baby's sake and things that you can't really like that are harder to control, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess like, I mean, there was more to it than that probably, but like at first, when I first started thinking about it, it was just kind of like just stuff in all terms of fear. Like, you know, um, a, lo a lot of women who go through tocophobia kind of like, if they think about pregnancy even they, they, they put in these terms of like, Oh, I have an alien inside me or I have a, a parasite inside mm -hmm. me. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> if you haven't really even unpacked that, like it's mm -hmm. kind of, it's hard to, to think about in any sort of normal terms, the way that people tend to talk about pregnancy, you know, like uh, connect to the baby or, or, you know, think, think about, think positively about the baby and that kind of thing. Take, take me through this step-by-step. Step. Um, Cause I, I'm trying, I'm trying to, trying to map out the timeline in my head here. You and your boyfriend are talking about getting married and then Immediately, you're like, "Oh, I can't get married. I can't have kids because I can't have kids." Or what? What yeah. happens? One one thing maybe I should start off with is like sometimes it's a little embarrassing to to admit this, but Kyungu actually proposed to me initially when well when we had been in separate countries for a year and a half at that point. Um, mm -hmm. Like like I said, we met we met at my college uh, Grinnell College in Iowa and mm -hmm. um we 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 were kind of having a normal college type dating relationship for about six months and then mm -hmm. I graduated he went back to Japan which was where he did most of his undergrad education and then he he needed another year in Japan to finish his his bachelor's degree and then he went he pretty quickly after that he went to France for his master's degree. And meanwhile, I was I was in the US for about half a year and then I was in China for about a year and no, sorry. <laughs> I was in the US for about a year after I graduated and then I was in China for a year and a half. And we saw each other once in the middle about a year after I graduated. But then I was I was in China for that whole year and a half and then he was in France for that year and a half and then very briefly he came back to Korea for his sister's wedding and I visited him well, I was on the way back from China in Korea. So we were together for about a week. <laughs> and during that week, he proposed to me. And that was pretty, that was pretty overwhelming for me, both because we had not been in the same place for a year and a half. We sort of even sometimes struggled to talk very regularly while I was in China. Um, and I, I had been through kind of a lot of difficult experiences in China um and so all of a sudden like it's like okay you we we have this sort of like really vague long distance relationship 
now you want me to just promise to marry you. And I'm not even sure where exactly you're going to be. Are you going to be in France? Are you going to be in Korea? Are you going to be somewhere else? <laughs> and it, it was, it was also a, like, he kind of, I, I guess what he's told me since is he thought that this would make the proposal more dramatic or something like that. But he seemed to be sort of picking arguments with me throughout the course of the week before he got up to proposing. And well, you're fun to argue with, so I don't blame I know, him. I guess maybe. I Some of them were about things that I, you know, felt really, were, felt were really significant and stuff like that, you know, about faith and, and church and things like that. And, mm-hmm. and so it was a, it was very upsetting, honestly, when he proposed. Um, I mean, I still felt very strongly that, you know, I loved him and, and um, I didn't, didn't want to break up with him, but mm-hmm. I also was like, I don't, I can't just get engaged at this point. So, so that was, you know, that was just an emotional roller coaster in itself. We didn't end up breaking up. We did it did take us another three years before we were able, like I, I was able to go and move to Korea after he moved back to Korea. Um, but that the whole the, the three years after that really were kind of like an, an emotional roller coasters too. And I think when I when I just like it was about that was when like okay so the, the initial proposal was in 2012. I think I ended up moving here like I said at the beginning of 2015. And during 2014, after he had moved back to Korea, I was kind of struggling with the question of like, do I go move to Korea and try to pursue this relationship? In my mind, it was pretty hard to disconnect that from the fact that Pyongu really wanted to have biological children, or at least one biological child. Um, and I had this deep-seated fear that I I had never really dealt with before. Um, so was so- that when you sought out? psychiatric help or yeah yeah i mean not she wasn't a psych psychiatrist she was Sorry, a psychologist but using the wrong word here difference, but, you know psychological um, help set up yeah when you sought out professional counseling right yeah um so is is uh, okay so how how did that go how did you um what what spurred you specifically to seek out counseling how did you find a counselor how did your session go yeah and that, that? okay the truth is, is, this was quite a few years ago, and and I, there are a lot of details about it I don't remember from the the sessions and that kind of thing. But typically, with treatment for phobias, the most common treatment probably is like exposure phobia, where you like exposure you know, therapy, get, get a, exposure therapy. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> exposure therapy, where you get a little bit closer to the object of your phobia. So she would get you a little therapy. bit pregnant. Yeah, the thing is, like, with tokophobia, we can't really exactly do that in the sense. But um, one thing she, one thing I remember, we, um, she had a, the, the, my psychologist had a colleague who Mm. at the time was pregnant with her second child. Um, And so there was, there was one time when I talked to her colleague for a while about, Mm. like, the experience of pregnancy and how she handled her deliveries and that kind of thing um mm-hmm. and that was i think that was helpful i think like um i don't remember specifically my psychologist telling me to do this but one thing that i was doing a lot at the time that i you know was was seeing her was um trying to to read experiences like birth birth stories from women mm-hmm. who had more 
you know, positive experiences of, of mm. being pregnant and giving birth and um, kind of thinking about what they had done to, you know, the decisions they had made around their pregnancies and deliveries and that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. So, and I think, um, like, at the same time, I, I think the psychologist also kind of helped me to just think about the fact that, like, okay, you, you need to make this decision about whether to move abroad. And the other stuff is further down the road. So maybe deal with things one step at a time um, as much as as much as your mind will and as much as your mind seems to want to leap ahead to the the, the big, big humps. Um, mm. Try to deal with the little humps first. Mm. Um, and so I guess like I kind of did mm. try to do that more. Um, and I so I I had seen so after. A few months after I had seen her, uh, after or uh, let's see, I saw her for maybe about five or six months before I uh, ultimately moved to Korea. Um, mm -hmm. And and I guess like that helped me kind of deal with the togophobia as much as I could at that time, mm -hmm. and then also say this this is the this is the this is ultimately a thing that's further down the road, and maybe I should focus on what's right in front of me. Mm -hmm. um, so. And did you, do you feel like the therapy worked? Do you feel like, did you land on the shores of Korea saying, I can't wait to get pregnant and have all the babies? <laughs> no, I mean, and like not, not, not that, not in that sense, but I think it helped <laughs> me. It, it did help me like kind of blunt, blunt the fear and like realize that there were things that I could do to address it when that came up. Um, mm -hmm. And, and then later on, after we were married, I also kind of did some work on myself, just specifically thinking about like what 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 I was specifically afraid of, and kind of trying to address those particular thoughts of like you know um, you know like like for example feeling like out of control about what was going to happen with the delivery, like thinking mm. about well what kinds of care providers are going to be the most I don't know the most the most easy the easiest to talk. To, to communicate with the most responsive to what I want and that kind of thing and who's available here and mm -hmm. all of those things. Mm -hmm. um, so I think like maybe, maybe less, it was less a matter of like fixing the whole problem and more giving me some tools to like address it later as, as further problems came up. Mm -hmm. um, so. so then when you, when you uh, finally get around to marrying this guy, um, you show up at the altar. I mean, at that point, are you in a place where you're like, I think I could have a baby or does it take, does it take longer for, for you to come around on that? I mean, I like, yeah, I kind of, I think like when we f were married, when we, when we finally got married, um, mm -hmm. I was in a much better place with it. Um, later on, I realized that my thoughts were less about, you know, how do I deal with pregnancy? And more about um, like, do I actually want to have children, and what's it going to be like raising children with um, Hyungu? Um, and in some ways, that that got to be more more the focus um, once we had been married for a couple of years or or three years, because um, we did have the, the like, especially maybe years. Okay, we've been married six years now, so maybe years three, four, five or so when of our marriage, um, we had a lot of 
conflict, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want to be careful about how I put this because like at the time, uh, at the time I was, I felt like the problem was mostly him. And, and, <laughs> and I mean, a lot of it was, was him. Um, but I, I like after, oops, um, like, at, you know, uh, w- through some counseling that we got together and that sort of thing, I realized that I was doing a number of things to upset, upset him or make things stir up conflict between him and his family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also kind of, I also kind of realized that a lot of things culturally just didn't, we, we were coming from different cultural perspectives mm-hmm. with the words that we were, each of us was using. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh it like you know so that all of that bearing all of that in mind um i think like the there were a couple years there when it just felt like he would get really really angry at me and i felt i felt like it was at me and it wasn't always at me maybe but a lot of time he would just get really really angry and sometimes yell and scream at me um and even just like coldly insult me sometimes mm. for uh, for things that I, and things that I just felt like were not, not that big of a deal. And, and it was, it was, it was kind of shocking, at least like the first, the first year of our marriage, because, um, when, before we were married, I always felt like he was just a really, really calm, steady person. Um, and it, it just, it was, at first it was shocking and it was frightening. Then later on, I, I sometimes felt like, like just kind of, exhausted or frustrated with it um and and a little bit like finding it very hard to take him seriously sometimes um so basically you were married yeah basically Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, i mean i don't know if like does does every i'm sure like everybody goes through something like this to some Mm -hmm. degree um but at the same time it was like i don't know if i can see bringing a kid into this relation into this family because Mm -hmm. My husband acts like a kid so much of it from my perspective. And I I was like, is he going to yell and scream at the kid the way he yells and screams at me? Is he going to, you know, just put on these crazy displays of, of just extreme anger? Um, and is the kid going to think that's the way that people should behave? You know, all of those things. Um, and I also was alone a lot of the time um, because like... Uh, like you know Hyung is a very hard worker <laughs> and Korea is a very uh hard-working demanding country to work in um and it's it's changed a lot with COVID because he's working from home more these days um but there probably like for maybe those three years or so um he was often you know at the office maybe 60 hours a week like frequently um and so I was thinking, like, am I just going to be basically at home with the kid by myself all the time? Um, that doesn't really seem fair, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there was a lot of problems like that after after we were married, like like questions in my mind like that after we were married. Um, and but I think, like, like I said, once um, we got to a point where it, which was pretty explosive in this in the mid 2020 or, or early 2020 as well um and finally he finally like uh it was it was bad enough that he was willing to see a counselor about it um and we went through 
couple different counselors at first who weren't much help, but we eventually found someone <laughs> who kind of understood both cultures and um, seemed to want really want to approach things from you know a solid you know biblical but also like balanced perspective, like taking into account both of our perspectives. Um, and I think from that point, I you know both both I was able to recognize some of the things that I was doing that made life harder for him, especially with, with like his family and, and things like that. And, um, he also, I think got much better at controlling his temper. Um, and, and like I said, I think the, what's happened with COVID with a lot of people working from home, including Kyungu a lot of the time has also been helpful because we were able to spend more time together. Um, so, so I think like when, once, we had been seeing counselor for a while. I started to feel a lot less, a lot less stressed out about it in general. Um, and we sort of started loosely trying, or, or you know, like like not trying, not preventing. <laughs> um, when was it? Like like the fall of 2020, I guess. Um, and Let's make a plague baby. Make a what? Plague baby. Make a plague baby. Oh, a plague baby. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but so I mean, like I was, you know, I. And and it was never like for me at least it was never like oh yeah I want to be pregnant right now or anything like that but like it was much more of a okay I think I think I could handle this now <laughs> and uh, um, you know it, it, I I also could see like once we we stopped like needing to discuss preventing really like Hyungwoo just seemed to like be a lot more relaxed and a lot happier um, mm. and and that made me you know feel a bit happier and, and more relaxed. Um, so anyway. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, two things I want to, I want to ask two things I want to poke at here and I'm trying to trying to decide uh, which, which direction I want to go first. Um, yeah. Why don't we, I mean, tell, tell me about your pregnancy. Tell me about giving birth. I mean, what was that like? Was it as horrible as you feared? Was it the best thing that ever happened to you? Well, tell me, tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, and I think like, I was kind of, I don't know if I was really surprised, but I was a little bit like pleased with how, how normal I felt like, hmm. uh, after getting pregnant, I didn't feel like panicked or anything. Hmm. Um, I, let's see. So <laughs> I think, like I said, we were kind of like not doing much to prevent pregnancy the fall of 2021. And then kind of during that winter, we were sort of like, actively trying but I also was like having issues with like I didn't I, I I went through a cycle that was about 100 days long and it's like why am I not ovulating I don't know mm-hmm. um <laughs> but like uh I guess I think like once I stopped working because my job had just you know ended the contract was over and I hadn't found another job mm-hmm. I I got a lot I think I got a lot more sleep mm-hmm. and then I was healthier just generally. And then basically the next cycle, I was like, Oh, I'm pregnant. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I think, I think I, we, like, I got a positive test at the beginning of May last year and I kind of, I was not surprised that I was pregnant. Um, and, and I also wasn't like super happy, but I wasn't like super scared either. So I, I felt pretty good about just not, not feeling terrified. (laughs) 
Hello, thank you so much for listening to Changed My Mind. I will get right back to that conversation you were just listening to. Uh, But before we do that, I wanna talk real quick about the Patreon. We are a listener-supported show. The donations are what keep the lights on. They help me pay my editor and my executive producer. And they are what keep this sort of thoughtful conversation online for listeners to hear. Um, If you go to patreon.com slash change my mind, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash change my mind, you can support the show for as little as a dollar a month. Once you start supporting at $3 or more, benefits start kicking in. You'll get early access to episodes. And if you support at $5 or more, you will become a producer for the show, uh, which basically means that I'm going to shout you out at the end of every episode. And also, you can come to our strategy meetings on Zoom every month if you want. You um, don't have to talk if you don't want to. You can just be a fly on the wall and see how the magic happens. Uh, or see how the sausage is made, as the case may be. Um, So if you like this show and you like what I'm doing, please consider going online to patreon.com slash changedmymind and becoming a supporter. Thanks again to all our listeners and supporters. I really appreciate you. And I will flip you right back over to that conversation you were just listening to. I think most people would say probably that I had a pretty easy pregnancy. Um, I really didn't have much in the way of physical issues. I very like, you know, a little bit of nausea, a little bit here and there in the first trimester, but nothing like people seem to complain about all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I sprained my ankle in the very middle of the pregnancy, pretty much like 20 weeks. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, uh, I mean, that was, that I, I mean, that could have happened, obviously, if I wasn't pregnant. Um, I, I mean, felt like wor- worse <laughs> when you're pregnant, though, right? Yeah. You have extra weight to carry and your feet are well, already swollen. But that, and... Yeah, but at 20 weeks, like, <laughs> I really, I really wasn't heavy. Um, like, I think maybe depending on how I dressed, people might have been like, oh, she looks a little chubby or oh, something like that. But like, I really wasn't, I really wasn't even obviously pregnant. Um, and I don't think my ankles were swelling. Obviously, after I sprained my ankle, that one swelled up a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, it was more like, oh, okay. I think I, I can't. I obviously can't keep jogging, and I can't keep doing the same exercises I was doing. So I had to slow down with regard to that. But um, yeah, it kind of, kind of, definitely slowed me down. Um, but it wasn't that like it, it like I was like mostly. Okay, the pregnancy is taking care of itself, so I'll just focus on getting my ankle back in shape. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like that was probably, I don't know. I think by the time I was in the third trimester, I was pretty uncomfortable in a number of TMI ways. But, you know, I think everybody is They're by pretty that typical point. for third yeah. trimester, I think. Um, but tell me about tell me how tell me about giving birth. I mean, you know, obviously that's an experience I will never have. I have no idea what it's like. Um, but I I do wonder, uh, particularly what it's like for someone who was who spent such a large chunk of her life scared of it. Like, what was that like? Yeah. Well, I I mean, in, um, let's see. Let me maybe I should go into how I was preparing um first of all um so in korea there's there are like like there there are epidurals but um a lot of birth like birth centers and hospitals 
Um, the epidurals are available tend to be short lasting things like um, like they don't tend to. I mean, it, there are some hospitals, I guess, where they do. But in most places, they don't put you on a continual drip of mm. medication. Mm -hmm. um, it's like one one shot in the back and it lasts for as long as it does, you know, and some people it might last a couple of hours. Some people it might be a little bit longer or shorter. Um, and sometimes you can get multiple shots, but it really depends. Like, like they're not as, they're not as loosey goosey about, you know, any point in dilation, any, any point you can have this, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I was aware of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, I also ended up deciding to have the baby at a, um, <clears throat> kind of more of a, more of a natural orient, natural oriented um birthing center i i hate the word natural when it comes to like stuff but like you know listeners can't see it but she was using air quotes so <laughs> yeah i mean um, that, that natural natural is certainly a word that gets uh thrown around a lot but i think everybody has at least a vague idea of what natural birthing means you know minimal medical interventions minimal yeah. drugs right yeah and um, i mean like the, this place does offer effort ep that kind of short-term epidural um mm -hmm. they kind of try to they try to avoid doing inductions they try to avoid doing c-sections um which at a lot of hospitals in korea they really don't <laughs> like they're they're more than happy to do those and they they tend to push you towards those if they can mm -hmm. um and so i mean that's that's one of the reasons that i chose to have the baby there because i really didn't want an induction or a c-section um mm -hmm. and unless like it was medically necessary. Mm. Um, and the, then I also just felt a lot more comfortable with the staff there than most of the other places that I had visited. Um, mm -hmm. And so anyway, um, but so like, I guess I, I felt strongly about trying to prepare well, trying to have, um, you know, options for medical or sorry, non, non-medical pain relief um, because I didn't know how, good the medical pain relief is going to be um so non-medical so, pain relief means what what does that mean well for, in my case like i i tried i prepared using a self-hypnosis program called hypno babies um which yeah i really and, want to know but, if that works did that work well yeah it it did not work very well oh, in, man. in my opinion did um, you end up clucking <laughs> like a chicken instead or something no um because oh, that okay, would have been so, cool so hypnosis is really it's it's not it's not it's not stage hypnosis like you're I think I, you're trying to that refer was just to just a joke. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, know. I know. Um, but I mean, like there there are these techniques called hypnoanesthesia or medical hypno hypnoanalgesia, mm. um, which can sort of train your mind to experience painful sensations as less less painful or or even totally neutral sometimes mm -hmm. um and like for me i was doing a, a a home study program because there's just i mean like i'm i'm in a foreign country obviously you know there's <laughs> not a lot here in terms of like uh hypnotherapists who are fluent in i mean maybe there are some hypnotherapists who are fluent in english but i wouldn't know where to find them um mm -hmm. and that sort of thing um so i like like for me it was you know list uh listening to tracks that basically put you in a state of or help you to guide you into a state of self-hypnosis 
Mm. Um, and then the, they use the, the hypnotic suggestions to kind of help you help your help you anticipate both anticipate and hopefully experience the contractions, the labor sensations as being less painful than and mm-hmm. preferably not painful at all, theoretically. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, it didn't it didn't work for me as well as I hoped. I think mm-hmm. one thing I've heard is um, it it like I had back labor um, and that tends to be I think at least a lot of people report it as being more painful. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I think, what was I going to say? Um, when you it, say back labor, you mean you're relying on your back when you gave birth? No. That, um, no. Okay. So, so back labor is when you feel the contractions more in your back. than in Oh, your I got it. I get it. Um, okay. And yeah. And, and usually it's associated with the baby being malpositioned. Um, mm-hmm. My son, Jobby was, was actually in a really good position. And I, good. Worked through. <laughs> I worked through the end of my pregnancy to like you know encourage him to stay and get into and stay into a good position. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I didn't realize was my cervix was pointed posterior, and mm-hmm. I like my my OB told me that after he was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess like what happened was my contractions had to push my cervix forward, and so so that it was like aligned better with with the uterus and the birth canal. Mm -hmm. Um, So it took a lot of time for a lot of contractions just to do that. And then I felt those contractions more in my back than in, in like the front and, Mm -hmm. and the back pain was pretty bad. Like it was like, you know, kind of like a burning sensation in my back with like Mm -hmm. each contraction. So, um, so I was, yeah, I didn't really feel like I was able to get into the, the hypnotic state that um i that, like the goal of hypnobabies is to to start listening to the tracks and and kind of like getting yourself into self-hypnosis early on in your labor before things get you know ramp up so much but um my labor was pretty intense from the start and and uh, um and there was a lot of those a lot of hours of just those contractions i guess moving my cervix into position because like by the time we got to the birthing center it had been like i had probably been experiencing contractions for uh probably eight or nine hours at that point or almost um and and like i was only one and a half centimeters dilated <laughs> and and the the midwife who checked me was like oh wow your your contractions are really intense for this this early in labor um mm-hmm. so i guess but i guess that's what was happening was like the t- contractions were mostly moving my cervix forward before it like the cervix could really dilate um mm-hmm. but anyway so that might be one of the reasons and i also just you know wasn't i was like i said i was doing a, a home study there wasn't really anybody who could evaluate for me like am i actually using these techniques very well or that sort of thing um so in some ways i'm like well if i were to have another baby which i don't know if i will and i'm certainly in no hurry but Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would bother with the hypno babies again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really glad that I, I hired a doula. Um, and I was really glad I did that because um, I needed people. I needed somebody basically to keep squeezing my hips or pushing on my back um, to kind of like giving me some counter pressure there to, to make the back pain bearable. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hyungu was with me, of course, 
that whole time. And he was pushing on my back and squeezing my hips a lot, especially in the first, I don't know, whatever, 10 hours I was in labor, 10, 13, 14, Mm -hmm. um, before the doula got there. Um, But after that, at least they could take turns and, and they didn't like, hopefully both of them didn't get so tired, you know, because Mm -hmm. it is, it it takes a lot of hand strength to do that and everything like that. Um, so yeah. Okay. So the, in that sense, like the doula was helpful. The counter pressure was helpful. I labored in the bathtub for a while. Um, and that was really helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, but my midwife kind of didn't want me to to stay in there all day Mm because she said it could slow down the labor. Um, so I think, let's see. So I guess like I spent, like I went into labor, um, Thursday evening and then I had, I had jobby early Saturday morning. So I was in labor for about 35 hours. Um, (laughs) and, uh, yeah, so I, I like the first maybe day or night and half a day, um, it was mostly just like using movement and, and like getting down on my hands and knees, changing on, like sitting on the birth ball, bouncing around, walking and getting a lot of counter pressure to try to like counteract the, the, the back pain. Um, I mean, and during all this, what are you thinking? Are you thinking, wow, I can't believe I let people talk me into this. Or are you <laughs> I really, like, I really wasn't thinking so much that kind of thing as I, I was really just concentrating on, you know, one, one moment at a time, one contraction at a time. I, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like I, I, I did try to, to do the self-hypnosis techniques for the first, maybe, I guess like for, for most of Thursday night. And then in the Friday morning, I was like, this just isn't helping very much. And so I, I kind of stopped thinking about that as much. Um, and, you know, just was concentrating on like the type of breathing that my doula suggested. I, I did a lot of vocalizing, like, you know, just making like low pitch sort of semi-musical sounds. Um, Cause that singing seemed to opera. help. Yeah. I wasn't singing opera, but oh. I was like, you know, making sort of singing certain certain tones and stuff like that (laughs) That, like yeah just i don't know why but that did seem to help um if if nothing else it gave me something to focus on Mm -hmm. um and then let's see so i spent uh, like probably a few hours i don't know how long i'm like i sort of lost track of time after a certain point and um but on friday i spent like maybe two or three hours in the tub that helped a lot. And mm. I was kind of just like in this detached sort of mindset for a while. Um, but when I got out of the tub, uh, it, I was, it, it felt a lot more intense. Um, and I think I, like, I think I was checked by my midwife and she told me I was like seven or eight centimeters dilated. And then I was like, okay, good. This is, things are moving along. Um, but then I labored on for another couple of hours outside the tub, just, you know, bouncing on the birth ball and getting my hips squeezed and stuff like that. And at the end of those couple of hours, she checked me again and said, I really wasn't any more dilated than before. Um, and that was really discouraging. Yeah. So that, at that point I was like, I don't know if I can keep doing this and without any, you know, rest and still be able to, to push the baby out when that's finally it's finally time for that, you know? Um, so I asked for 
an epidural and took me took a while for for to get that because my OB had to approve it and then they need to give me the um IV fluids mm-hmm. and um so I think I I think I got an epidural around one in the morning maybe on Saturday I mean mm-hmm. maybe a little bit before that but um and then then I kind of just fell asleep because <laughs> mm-hmm. I was numb enough to do that sure um but that but the epidural lasted about an hour um and then I woke up and was feeling some more contractions and kind of feeling like oh I need to push um and everybody's sort of surprised that it only lasted an hour. <laughs> mm. um, like, like Kyungu had gone to sleep and my doula had gone to sleep and the, the rest of the staff had all kind of like gone away, except there was, I mean, there was one nurse in the hall, um, but everybody was sort of thinking, oh, it'll probably be two or three hours before it's showtime, you know? Mm. Um, but yeah, I woke up and uh, like at, at first, at first I was like, okay, I just need to push. and this should be over soon but um i was pushing for about two hours after that and uh, yeah it took a really long time um and i think for the first hour or so of push- pushing i was pretty still i still felt like i was pretty well in control like i was you know coping and that sort of thing um but i think i got to the point where I, well I, I ended up on my back on the bed after pushing in a few more upright positions because um, my son Jobby's heart rate was was kind of not real reassuring at that point, um, and they had me on an oxygen mask for a while. Um, and and anyway, that the, they told me like I needed to get my pelvis open by having my legs spread apart um, because that was the only way they were going to get him out or we were going to get him out fast enough. Um, yeah, and so I needed to be on my back on the bed, which hurt worse, but. I was like, well, what can I do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and at, at one point I was just so delirious that I was like thinking, you know, I, I'm not even sure there's actually a baby in there, you know? Like, <laughs> I mean, I was like, you know. I just, never be sure, you know, right? Yeah, well, like, I mean, it was just like, you know, they kept telling me like, oh, he's going to come out after the next next yeah. push or two, yeah. next push or two. And it was never the case. And I was just like, there's just got to be something else in there that just, is misshapen too much to like come out and I go back to what you were saying about having an alien inside you. (laughs) Well, I was thinking more in terms of a tumor or something, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, like, I just, I, there was, I, I had lost all connection. Like, I mean, like I pretty much lost some hours of labor. Who wouldn't? Yeah. No, no judgment here. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, but finally I, I asked to have an episiotomy because I was just like, I, I think like he was almost crowning, but not quite. Yeah. Um, and that was the only thing I could really think of to ask for. Like yeah. I had tried, I, I, I was so delirious. I was starting to ask for like a C-section, a vacuum mm, assist. And they yeah. were like, just, just keep pushing. And I was like, I just don't have any more energy. Yeah. Something's got to give here. Um, so I was like, if my perineum gives, maybe my strength will hold out long enough to, yeah. to let um, But yeah, I mean, so they, they cut up an episiotomy. It really, it was, that was one of those things that I was like kind of really scared of having for some reason. Mm. And, but it really wasn't that big of a deal. You know, yeah. they not me, they cut me. He came out in the next couple of pushes, I think. Yeah. Um, and then it wasn't fun with it while they were stitching me up. But, you know, after that, it sure. only bothered me 
for a few days, you know. So yeah. I'm not I'm look, looking back. I'm like, I'm not sure why I was so scared about having an episiotomy. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. my wife, Julia, you've probably heard this story on her first. She yeah. probably should have had an episiotomy right. because they I mean, they basically just ended up having to rip the baby out of her. And, you know, yeah. she tore in seven different directions and needed like 40 some stitches. So, oh. Pisiotomy probably would have been the right choice. Yeah. But uh, yeah, um, so it's probably probably good you did that. Um, <laughs> so then you have your baby, right? Then there's, there's this baby in your arms and yeah. you're thinking, man, what a mistake, right? <laughs> well, I mean, no, but... <laughs> <laughs> I love I love how the answer is no, but such a well, to be honest, like you know, initially I just felt I just wasn't able to feel much of anything. Oh, for sure. For you sure. know, like I just I was just like, okay, there really was a baby in there when they <laughs> who knew, right? Like you know, and and I was like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm glad that's over, you know. Um, and I yeah, but otherwise, like emotionally, I was just kind of really pretty numb at that point, like. I remember Hyungu crying when he came out, you know, um, and I was, apparently Hyungu claims that I told him to stop crying or something. Like that. I, I don't remember. I, I mean, that. that sounds like something you would say, even, okay. even when you're totally sober. Um, <laughs> I believe it though. I believe it. Yeah. So did you just pass out for the rest of the day or? or no, what? I mean, we, we, well, we had to, we had to move from that room to the, like the next floor up um sure. it's for you know, recovery floor um <laughs> and, but they, they put me in a, a wheelchair i guess um and and it took a while actually because i think after he was born i think i they were concerned about my hemoglobin level so they level so they needed to give me another different iv mm-hmm. i think that's what happened so after I, I had to wait until that was all done and and then like get into the wheelchair and go upstairs um and after, but after, after that, I can't remember if I, I guess I got some sleep, but like, you know, um, they, at the, at this birthing center, they really try to keep the babies and the moms together and, and, and the dads, assuming yeah. the dads there, which usually they are. Um, and so like, it wasn't like the baby was taking the nursery, you know, we were still taking care of the baby the whole time, pretty much that we were there. Um, and except for like, I think the two, two nights after I had the baby, two nights after I gave birth, one, one of the nurses came and took him away for a few hours because he was just wanting to, to be on my breast, like nonstop basically. And my milk still hadn't really come in yet. He was just mm. getting colostrum. So he was, yeah, he was not happy. <laughs> um, and and we were getting absolutely no sleep. Um, so the, I think the nurse at that point took him for about three hours. And I don't know what she did because supposedly they don't have formula there. Um, but when she brought him back to me in, in the morning, morning, like, you know, like at 7 or 8 a.m. as opposed to like 3 a.m., mm-hmm. he seemed really calm and happy. And I was like, okay, well, you must you must have something magic. Or, you know, I must know how to do some magic. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like, I still, I still probably didn't get a full night's sleep from, I mean, you know, even now I'm still getting up once or twice during the night, but I mean, like, I didn't even get, you know, 
several hours of sleep together, maybe from the time I went into labor until the time we left the birthing center. Um, so I, yeah, uh, I think like, you know, it seemed like it, it, the whole time we were in the birthing center, maybe Javi would sleep for like an hour at a time and then want need to be changed or, or fed or both. Um, mm. And so I'm trying to remember, like we left, I went into labor on Thursday evening. We went home on Tuesday morning. So that's, that's like five nights in between, I guess. Right. Mm. And I, I think I only like there was at tops, maybe there was about three hours that I slept maybe two or three times during like together, you know? Um, So I was starting to think, um, how how many how sleep deprived do you have to be to die from sleep deprivation? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a bit more than you were, seeing as you're still alive. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, we need to wrap this up. We're going way over time here. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't mean to tell that story in quite such detail, but uh, <laughs> well, now it's done. Yeah. Um, I mean, just just tell tell me this motherhood thumbs up thumbs down how is it well i mean like i think it's right now i feel like um we're we're adjusting well um Good. i mean our mom our mom is still here and uh she's a big help of course um so i don't know how things will be once she leaves at the end of march <laughs> um but, but she's the she's the least cumbersome house guest by far <laughs> I, I always feel bad when she's at our place because she insists on doing everything. And I'm just like, well, now there's now I have nothing to do. What do oh. I do with all this time? I don't know. And then I just feel guilty. Um, well. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I mean, this is the show is called Change My Mind. Uh, yeah. You pitched the episode. Do you feel like <laughs> you've really changed your mind or do you just feel like you got nudge down certain paths and now here you are with this this uh baby in your arms uh well i mean like both i don't know um <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I, think, I, I, appreci- like- I appreciate that because you know you, you you say you say like stuff how, how pregnancy freaked you out in part because you know you, you don't have control over your body right you know? and i hear that and i'm like well nobody really has control over their bodies like right like we never know what our bodies are going to do to us. You know, I mean, you yeah. could be fine one day, you wake up with cancer the next, like, right. um, and obviously I mean, that, that is true. Yeah. You know? I think, so, yeah. I mean, in a sense, we're all nudged down certain paths just by, mm-hmm. I mean, not, not only by our, by our bodies, but partly by our bodies. Right. Like it's, I mean, I don't know. I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, what were you going to say? <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I guess like that's, that's, that's true. And I mean, like, I think the thing about a, a phobia is it, it is largely irrational, right? Yeah. Like um, to some extent, that's that's the definition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like 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 I think there's lots of rational reasons, obviously, to be afraid of pregnancy, mm-hmm. but at the same time, there there's there's where there's a point where it kind of crosses to you know um, to sort of a fear that controls your life. I guess is mm-hmm. is what a phobia is maybe mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to like have certain have certain inclinations or at least you know want to make decisions that like could lead to certain things and you know a a person without the phobia could easily could deal with those even if they're difficult you know maybe Mm -hmm. um but 
but if you have the phobia, it's like that controls you, I guess. Hmm. Um, which maybe that's an interesting point. Like part of the fear was losing control, but then the fear actually itself was controlling me. So hmm. that I wasn't really in any, I was already out of control. Hmm. That's actually really deep. That gets into, <laughs> gets into some deep questions about free will and <laughs> whether it exists. Um, I want to ask you this. I mean, we, you know, we're way over time at this point, but I, 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 I want to ask you this because I, I know that um, someone's going to be upset if I don't. Um, I feel like I, there's a certain type of person <laughs> uh, who would hear this story and read it as profoundly anti-feminist, I guess, yeah. right? Like you start as this strong independent woman who don't need no man and don't need to have no babies. I don't think I saw myself. That <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying you did. I'm saying that that's one way to read the story, right? Okay. That, I mean, I, I mean, one way to read the story is that you kind of, you're not interested in having kids, but you end up doing what your man tells you to please him. And, and uh so you know coming um i don't i don't know you know you know what i mean i mean i don't maybe i don't i don't know if it's a fair question i just want to hear what you have to say about it like if uh, pretend i'm like a angry second wave feminist type sitting here and and i'm like why are you letting your your man push you around and force you to have kids like uh what would you say to, and, and, you say and to i don't really like feel like he forced me to have kids. <laughs> okay. um i mean like Certainly he was much more, let's say, eager to be a parent than I was. Um, mm. And, you know, maybe even now that's true. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but like it, it's been really neat for me to see him with Jobby and see, you know, what, how much he lo- loves being a father. And, mm. um, and I, you know, I, I love Jobby too. I think, I, I think it's going to take a while for before I'm like this, I'm probably never going to be like the super ushy gushy. Oh, uh, motherhood is like all about what I'm all about person, you know? Yeah. Um, probably never going to be that. There's nothing saying you have to, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I mean, do have my son and I think like, you know, as he gets to grow up a little bit and can, you know, understand things and have conversations and stuff like that, I think we'll have, you know, a, hopefully a real fulfilling relationship and that kind of thing. Um, and, and I just, you know, I, I feel like I, I feel like I enjoy Hyungu, like watching Hyungu as a father. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I mean, I don't, if I lose my feminist card or, or this card <laughs> I never had, I don't know if that, I care very much about that, but, um, I, did I ever have a feminist card? I don't, I don't really think I did. I'm not sure that's a thing. So, yeah. um, <laughs> But, you know, I mean, like, I, I, I definitely did get, I, I mean, I, I did head into pregnancy more because my husband wanted a child than because I really desperately wanted a child. But I also feel like there's plenty of, there's plenty of cases where it goes the other way too, you know? And, mm. and I mean, yeah, like, it's not sure it's harder on the woman to be pregnant and give birth but at the same time. It's not like men are you can blame it on a man that he was born without a uterus, I guess, you know, like, um. well, I mean, and it is, I mean, it is hard in certain ways, right? Yeah. I, I mean, not to make this all about me, but you know, to, to um, watch your wife go through uh, 
a hard pregnancy or a hard childbirth and know there's kind of nothing you can do about it is, uh, you know, it's hard in its own way as well. Yeah. And I wouldn't say there was nothing that he could do about it. Well, or relatively little you could do about it, right? Knowing that you can't, you can't take the pain on yourself or whatever, you know? Um, But I mean, definitely like during the early, the, the first day or so I was in labor, um, like he, he was, he was there pushing on my hips and pushing on my back and, you know, Mm. helping me change positions and, you know, all of that stuff. And um, I, I don't know, I felt like we were kind of working as a team along with, along with our doula once we got there, when she got there. Um, And that was one thing that I was like, I'm kind of glad I did it this way, partly because of that, because I just felt like I, I was, first of all, I was really impressed with how, how much he seemed to know about, like, the, the like counter pressure and and positioning and stuff like that because i i didn't think he i didn't really think he was uh preparing for it in in those ways um and i hadn't really you know i i hadn't really tried to educate him or anything like um i like we did take a prenatal class that was about you know medical interventions to expect in korean mm. facilities and and how to take care of babies and stuff like that um but I didn't th- feel like it included much of that. And I, I guess he was just, you know, reading about it on his own, watching YouTube videos, stuff like that. So anyway, I just wanted to say he obviously couldn't do the actual labor part himself, but he, he really did try to support me um, mm-hmm. once we were in it, you know. That's good. It's really yeah. good. Yeah. All right. Well, let me ask you this. Aside from your new beliefs or your new viewpoint itself, what would you say you learned from the experience of changing your mind? Well, I think maybe it's maybe I learned that it's possible to change your mind or your, your emotions around something. Like it's possible to recognize that um, you have certain problematic emotions and then mm. to systematically try to deal with them and release them and move on with your life, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it, yeah. That's a pretty valuable thing to be able to do, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. All right. Well, I have three uh, final questions. I ask all my guests, uh, try to poke and prod them, turn them into philosophers for a, a second or two. Because um, yeah. I ultimately, the goal of this show is to answer all of mankind's deepest questions, which I'm close. I'm close. Um, so how do we know truth? How do we know ourselves? Uh, first of all, Tamer, what is identity? Does everyone have an identity? How do you know your identity? What do you think? Yeah. Um, I guess what I, what I wrote when I was like kind of trying to come up with answers to the various questions on the the, yeah on your scripts thing <laughs> mm-hmm. is I think identity is kind of like the role that people assume in the world or whether it's like imposed on them or chosen by them or a combination thereof um mm-hmm. and I guess like in that sense maybe identity is is based on your relationship with other people more than than anything mm-hmm. um uh, like I don't I think it's pretty pretty hard and pretty weird to try to establish an identity for yourself without thinking about relationship to other people you know I'm, mm. I'm, I'm whatever I'm a I'm an employee I'm a employer I'm a wife I'm a husband I'm a all those things those are probably more more central to what what people think about themselves what, what decisions that people make that kind of thing than something really I don't know vague like I have this ethnicity or I have 
<laughs> I have this history or something like well, that. Well, even even ethnicity is defined ultimately by other people. That's right? true. Like it's yeah. defined by the culture that you were raised in, whatever. Yeah, that's um, true. So yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely definitely difficult to get away from uh, how other people influence and perceive you when you're talking. Um, second, what is human nature? Are we all the same deep down? Are we all different deep down? Are we all blank slates? What do you think? Um, maybe jumping off of what I said about identity, I think like, you know, people are kind of inherently social and relational. I think like, I think everybody has like a need to belong and to be in relationships with other people. And um, uh, that's, I mean, that's something that people all have in common, but what about her? I don't, I don't think we're, what, what's that? What well, about okay. Yeah. <laughs> There, I, I guess there are always exceptions to every rule. Um, but I mean, okay. So you're asked, you ask, are we all the same deep down? Or are we all different deep down? I guess. Hmm. I mean, I, I feel like <laughs> most people, almost everybody, has some need to to belong within, you know, relationships and and you know feel maybe both needed and supported in different ways. And um, and then how we maybe understand those those needs or desires or come to fulfill fulfill or try to fulfill those desires is is maybe what makes people different um mm. i don't know what what yeah. do you think of that answer is that uh, yeah i mean I, I think the the needed and supported thing gets at something at least a little bit profound for me because mm. it's 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 like nobody nobody wants to only have their needs met and nobody wants to only meet other people, right? Mm -hmm. you, need, you need both of those in tension or in, in concert together. And I, I don't know if maybe just because it's like 1030 at night here and I'm loopy, but that's not, that seems, seems really, I don't know. I mean, it's afternoon over there, so you can tell me if it's deep in the afternoon. Um, <laughs> finally, uh, Tamar, what is truth? How do you know truth and how do you know when you found truth? Uh, yeah, so... I kept sort of thinking like about the way that other people have answered these questions, I think. And I kept thinking like, am I going to be able to say anything new or interesting or different? And, and I was like, ah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I don't know. Um, one thing, I think that the guy you had on who was like, from you, the, the title was like from evangelical to ex-evangelical or something like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. uh was it calvin somebody calvin moore yeah Calvin Moore. okay he says something about like truth is what corresponds to reality um which is seems like pretty straightforward and simple sort of just I guess. kicks the can down the road because then you have yeah. to answer what's reality, reality right? <laughs> but i <laughs> yeah the, the reality is like the reality is uh you know although there are different perspectives on reality i think there is one that is actually absolutely true whether um and but i guess like i was i was thinking more about truth right and like telling truth um trying to remember there was there, i um can't remember when this was but like there was a a sermon at my church some months ago when like they were that there was the topic was like telling the truth or being truthful and i think you know sometimes uh like Tell, when it comes to telling the truth, you also have to think about like is bringing attention to a certain reality beneficial for people, mm -hmm. or is it not? Like, um, like one thing that came up in this sermon was about the 
the Hebrew midwives in Egypt in, in Exodus one, mm-hmm. you know, lying about the the nobody the the Hebrew women don't need us to to help them give birth because mm-hmm. they wanted to protect the baby boys from being killed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know sometimes there are you know there there are times when like telling the truth is not helpful or not beneficial for people in the sense of like drawing attention to this particular fact might not be. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I guess truth is also, you know, what is, what is loving and what is good for people maybe. Um, mm. But yeah, of course that's, that's like even harder to determine than what is real. <laughs> like, um, All right. I no, don't know we... if that really answers the question or not. <laughs> It's not the worst answer I've gotten on this show, so we'll, we'll leave it there. Yeah. Um, Tamar Harrington, it has been such a pleasure finally getting to <laughs> talk to you. Uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to come on this program. Um, I, you know, I typically ask anyone if they have anything to uh, to plug before we sign off. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Um, no, not really. <laughs> no, not really. I, I, I am not that. on Twitter. I do not have a blog anymore. I I don't know. I, I'm pretty pretty not self promoting. Um, and maybe I need to be more self promoting sometimes because I clearly am not very good at keeping and getting and keeping jobs. So but I'm afraid I don't really have anything prepared to plug. Okay. Would you Would you recommend pregnancy and childbirth to our listeners? <laughs> well, one one of the um. One of the questions, right, is, is are you evangelistic about? Oh, that's right. Yeah, we skipped or something like that. over that. <laughs> are you? And no, I am. No, I'm not evangelistic <laughs> about getting pregnant. I, you know, I really think I, I think that like especially for a woman, like having children is is such a personal decision. I and like you know, obviously, when people tried to previously tried to encourage urge me to do it, I got pretty annoyed and yeah. Um, but I mean, I think like I might be a little bit evangelistic about like you, you need to to deal with your fears and and try to release your fears to, around whatever it is that you're trying to do. Hmm. Um, I think there's there's a woman in my church who um, she had had her son about two weeks before mine. She was actually supposed to have him about three weeks after mine, but he came early. So, uh, <laughs> but um, I, like we both let's see I guess she was not at my baby shower she must have been busy that day but I was at her baby shower and she asked me something about like are you scared to give birth and I said well I'm more scared about the whole taking care of a baby thing at this point um <laughs> but, but like I don't know I guess it came in another conversation or two it came out like I realized she was really really scared at mm. that point and and I did I I hesitated in a way to like try to say much because I was like I haven't been through this yet myself and maybe I am cocky about it or whatever but um (laughs) but I kind of said to her like you know I think I think if you're if if the fear is really you know if your mind is really focused on that you you should try to to address it to pick through it and to 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 make decisions that might serve you better as far as like dealing with the fears if you can and and then just release whatever else you can't deal with or what you can't control you know Mm. um because having a lot of fear 
it obviously it's not pleasant to begin with and it might also have a negative impact on your labor so um and i don't know if she ever really did anything with that i it was basically i think i think like i said her baby came five weeks early and i think i was texting her about it as she was like in the hospital for preterm labor or something like that so that probably didn't help her a lot but i don't know and in that sense maybe i did get a teeny bit evangelistic at that point um but we yeah, have nothing to fear but fear itself <laughs> yeah Right. That was a pretty good FDR, right? I think I do a pretty good FDR. All right. Well, this has been Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. Uh, you can email the show at changedmymindpod at gmail.com. You can find it on Twitter at changedmindpod. And you can find me on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington. And I will see you next time. Tamar actually reached out to me after that conversation. Um, she came back to me and said, you know, I, I have something I'd like to add about that feminism question toward the end. Um, and at, she wrote a couple of paragraphs and I, I think they're pretty good. So I'm just going to go ahead and read them to you. Um, she says, I'm not sure there's a definition of quote unquote feminism that a good proportion of people now would agree with. But I can only get behind feminism to the extent that it promotes mutual respect between men and women and a society that genuinely values all of women's and men's contributions. So I think if a feminist, quote unquote, accused me of just doing what my husband wants, I would try to offer an opposite example. Let's say a woman had some lifelong dream parentheses, my husband's was becoming a father, but let's say it's a different one, for example, and her husband made certain sacrifices or worked hard to remove certain obstacles to that. Would the feminist I were talking to approve of that? Probably. So then I think I would suggest to that person that if your reaction to someone doing basically the same thing is totally opposite based on that person's sex, maybe you should reevaluate whether your kind of feminism promotes equality between men and women. Um, now I guess that's what you would call a liberal feminist take. Um, and I think she's got a point there. Um, I think to be generous to those who disagree, the counterpoint would be, yes, that's good. It would be good, but society has historically asked women to sacrifice for men more. And, you know, I mean, that's, there's probably truth to that as well. Um, but just because thing has been historically bad doesn't mean that balance wouldn't be good, right? Um, you know, thing historically bad is not fixed by making thing bad in an equal and opposite direction, right? Um, I don't know. I think about my own marriage a lot. Um, and my wife doesn't listen to this podcast, so I can describe my own marriage however I want. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I mean, I stayed home and I raised kids so that my wife could pursue a career. Um, and my wife pursued a rather uh, lucrative career so that I could stay home and uh, pursue a writing career, which, you know, everybody knows you never make any money at it. Um, so, I mean, you can ask yourself, like, which one of us is sacrificing for the other, you know? And I think 
the true answer and the ideal answer is both, right? Um, and to an extent, neither, right? We've worked together to build the kind of life we wanted. Um, and I don't know, I mean, I, I feel like liberalism in the classical and maybe even to the extent the modern sense of that word is um, one of its blind spots is treating people as individuals. Um, there's this refusal to acknowledge that ultimately, whether we like it or not, we're all connected to each other. We're all in the same boat. Our fates are all intertwined. And in an ideal world, we all ought to be sacrificing for the people around us, um, not just standing up and demanding our rights, you know. And sure, it's bad if one group has been historically asked to sacrifice more than another, uh, but that doesn't change the reality that we're all connected and all have a responsibility to each other. Anyway, that's it for this week. If you like what I'm doing, if you want to hear more of it, please consider becoming a patron. You can go to patreon.com slash change my mind and become a supporter for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, if you give us $3 a month, you get early access to episodes. $5 a month, you get VIP access to me and my producer. Tell me how annoying my voice is. You can do that to my face if you want over Zoom once a month. Um, so yeah, patreon.com slash change my mind. If you don't have $3 to throw my way, you can go to Apple Podcasts and write a review, preferably a five-star review. Say, hey, y'all, this is the best podcast ever. Y'all better listen. That's, you know, you can just quote that verbatim if you want. I, I won't sue you for plagiarism. Just uh, type those words I said. As I said at the top of the episode, if you want to find me online, I'm increasingly just hanging out on my Substack. I've kind of cloistered myself on Substack. Substack is a blog and newsletter service, so you can read it on the site. You can sign up to get them in your email inbox. If you do sign up, I will send you free e-copies of both my books. That is Ophelia Alive, my horror novel, and Murder Bears Moonshine and Mayhem, my humor book about the Bible. Uh, they have nothing to do with each other, probably very little overlap in the audience for the, those two books, but you can get them both and decide which one you like. Uh, so go to luketherrington.substack.com. You can read all my recent writings there and you can sign up to get them in your email inbox, plus get both my books for free. Change My Mind is produced by Tamar Harrington. That's right. The person you just heard talking, she's great. Uh, our executive producer is Blake Collier, who is also great. And our editor is Jonathan Clausen, who once again is great. Uh, we are hosted by the Raven Creek Social Club. And I'm Luke T. Harrington. And I want to thank you, yes, you personally, for listening to Change My Mind. And remind you to please don't be afraid to change your mind. <laughs>